You are listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Fury Young and BL Shirell, the co-executive directors of Die Jimco Records. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Well, I'm the founder and I got the idea in 2013 when I was a wee young 23-year-old activist. And I had been um, studying history at Los Angeles City College. And I took this class on genocide that had a huge impact on me. And it also coincided just the timing with the Occupy Wall Street movement starting. And so then two years later in 2013, I was reading The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And the book is about how mass incarceration is like a a modern day racial caste system. And I just heavily related to the book. I grew up around some impacted people. I had a mentor who was formerly incarcerated named Alexander Prison, who was actually Muhammad Ali's bodyguard. And I just got the idea to do an album because I was listening to a lot of concept albums like Pink Floyd, The Wall. And it started from there, just a little seed and a spark of just this idea for this one album. And then over time, as I'm sure we'll get into in this interview, it just evolved into an EP and then a record label and a nonprofit. And here we are. Yeah. So like inside, it depends. There's all different content moving conditions. So, you know, for instance, when I lived in the New York Court, which was a very neo-structured unit, it looked like a titanic bowl. It's kind of like the things you see on TV, like doors, you know, two to a sound, very, very institutionalized looking. You can, I could play my guitar in there. I could, you know, sing to the heavens anyway, because I'm just locked away. But then I lived in a dorm on LB, and that was half walls, eight to a cell, no closed space. And I couldn't play my guitar. I couldn't, you know, sing there. I couldn't do these things because of the way the, the dorm was set up. So it just, it's all the terminal where you live, how you live, the conditions in which you're living in. If you're in solitary confinement, of course, you have access to none of it. But you can, you know, bang on your cell and you can go crazy and nobody will care. Whereas if you're in administrative segregation, which is similar, but a tad bit different, you can have certain things. You can have certain tools, certain instruments and stuff like that. But you're still locked away. So you have, you know, agency to do things with those resources that you require. So it's all about where you are. Is it a maximum? Is it a medium? Minimum. It's just so many different variables that would determine, you know, just how creative you'll be able to be and how many resources you have. And I went in there and... When I got to them asking me those questions, because they start tearing me down, they start saying, you're a horrible mom. Look what you did. Look what you left your kid. Now your kid is all fucked up. You, you're, you just like this. You're a dummy. They go in. They call you all kind of despicable, ripping, bad mom, you know, the horrible person. Whatever you are and whatever your thing is, what they attack. So I was just sitting there and it came for me to tell the story and I kind of Balance the two, you know, by saying, hey, it was a point in the time, which was the truth. It was a point in time where I did hear him say Philadelphia police, but it was like too late by then. It was already happening. So the shooting was already in progress. I mean, I remember them telling me that I was not taking responsibility. I still had came to this bar and I still was shooting Y and X, Y, Z. And 
I remember my eyes starting to well up, and I was like, I'm not going to let them do it. Because even crying to them is like manipulation. You can't cry while they're taking it. You can't talk back. You just kind of have to take it. So I remember just kind of like self-absorbing it. And when I walked out and my eyes was like to the brim, the guard was like, did great. She was like, you're, you're going to get ruled. Like you didn't want it to die. And I was just like, that's kind of crazy. Like, I just, you know, beat me down, you know. But in the end, I think I, I did get paroled the first try. And it's funny because there's some people who just can't do it. They can't allow you to talk to them like that. So they never get out, you know. So it's all about, like, tolerance and, like, how much verbal abuse you can take. And parole is different, too, in every state. So, like, I have a funny parole story in Alabama. Tamika Cole, who's one of our longtime artists, and she actually works with Nicole Fleetwood and stuff. She's a visual artist. I went to her second parole hearing. So she did get denied the first time, right? And then two years later, she came up again. And I'd known her for like three years at that point. So I was like, all right, I'm going to Alabama. I'm going to Montgomery. I'm going to speak on your behalf. So at the time, I had like super long hair, <laughs> ears pierced, you know, just looked like a total rocker dude. And also from up north, which in the south, just who is this guy? His name is Uriya. He is this die Jim Crow. What the hell? You know, but it worked. It worked. <laughs> you know, there's so many people, I imagine, who they have, of course, they maybe they have done a crime and they're imprisoned and they're incarcerated for something they've done. Or sometimes it's circumstances, these things that happen or when you're so kind of young and crazy and hormones affecting your thinking and then hard to take back. But then you must have met a number of people also who are incarcerated and they didn't do anything wrong place, wrong time. And how do they cope with that? Or did they find music? Or you can just tell us some of those stories. Yeah, we work with some people who are wrongfully convicted or even just straight up innocent. So Leon Benson, who performs as L. Bentley 448, he's probably knock on wood on the brink of being exonerated fully for the murder conviction that he's now served coming up on 25 years for. And I've met several people who've had similar tragedies. Albert Woodfox, I actually had the extreme honor of recording Albert at his home. He passed away a month ago, but I was able to record him in 2019 at his home. And he was convicted for like a robbery, something that he did do. But then while he was in Angola, he was wrongfully accused and was completely innocent, as it was later proven, of the murder of a correctional officer. And he ended up serving 43 years in solitary confinement because of a crime within the prison that he did not commit. So it really runs the gamut from different kinds of fucked up. And there, you know, you can find cases that are just so draconian, so insane. Like in California, they have three strikes laws. I, I think they probably appealed that or, you know, don't have that anymore. But there was like a guy who his third strike was stealing a pair of socks and he got a life sentence because that's how the law works. So... There's just a lot of crazy stuff that are still in practice. Like three strikes might not exist anymore in California. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But there are definitely people who are still serving life without parole for, like you said, Mia, just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
this is more related to the audience that perceive the music. In the case of DJC Records, art specifically music is used as a form of freedom. How do you want listeners of music from DJC Records to perceive the work in general? Just open mind, open heart. Let's see. Mm-hmm. I think the music speaks for itself. Right? So we start trying to shape it. This is how I want you to listen. This is how I want you to interpret it. Yeah, the listener can kind of, well, I'll speak for myself. I can kind of feel manipulated. If somebody says, hey, I want you to check out my song, right? I'm like, don't worry about it. Well, make sure you listen to it. Well, in the 13 seconds, it's a bell in the back. That bell is, I'm just like, you're doing too much. You know what I mean? Like, let me receive it how I want to receive it as a listener. I will approach it with the open mind, open heart, and what I, what I take from it, I take from it. And I think in the end, what our mission is to dismantle stereotypes around this prison, of course. But what that means is that means that if somebody's been listening to Territory, like this album is freaking amazing. And you know how when you listen to something amazing, then you start looking into the artists and stuff. Because now you want to know, well, now it's just like, where's this person from? Or, you know, how does this person like his songs? So and now you start watching every stuff. And then you see that Michael Tennyson has served five years, five life sentences. And he's been incarcerated since 1987 for murdering five people. And you're like, wow. Like, I never thought that I could even relate anything in my life to this person or to a person that could do something like that. So subconsciously, what it does is it humanizes us people. And then maybe if you're a small business owner or something like that, and you may have never hired someone with a criminal record. You may see people with arrest in your life. Nope, you just keep it pushing. But maybe from listening to that album, and you see this guy, he can apply for your job and he has a drug charge or something. Maybe you're not looking at it so crazy. Like, no, I'll get let Awesome. And that that interview, you know, may change, you know, your life and it proves that. So that's like the ideal scenario. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening. <laughs>